0: Regulating Artificial Intelligence in the EU. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Benjamin Mueller, Senior Analyst for AI at the Center for Data Innovation. Welcome, Ben.
1: Hi, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: What is the mission of your organization?
1: The Center for Data Innovation uh, was set up to undertake uh, research that aims to figure out how we can maximize the benefits of data-driven innovation and data-driven technologies. So we do a whole bunch of analytics and reports around all of that, but then we also do stakeholder engagement uh, with uh, companies and policymakers and civil society that are involved um, in all of this. Um, And so in addition to the analytics, uh, we also do uh, policy advocacy work. uh, And so I'd say we, basically, to sum it up, our uh, um, innovation technology-focused think tank.
0: Good good summary. European Union officials just recently proposed new regulations for certain artificial intelligence use cases. Summarize that for us, will you, please?
1: Yeah. So this is a world first. It's the uh, first attempt to create a binding set of rules, um, an overarching law that regulates the development and deployment of artificial intelligence. This has been in the works for a couple of years. Um, The EU has uh, run an extensive policy consultation phase and has taken another uh, year or two to to draft this legislation. Um, And the ultimate purpose of it uh, is to set Uh, legally binding guardrails around how the technology is developed um, and how it is used. It's a very extensive law, uh, including the appendices it runs to almost 150 pages, uh, which is uh, illustrative of the level of of detail um, to which they have gone in an attempt um, to harness and constrain the technology along with the preferences of the European Commission.
0: What are some examples of high-risk AI use cases?
1: Yeah, so the commission has uh, uh, embarked on what they call a risk-based approach. Um, In other words, they categorize the use of AI into different buckets of risk. They look at which areas AI is used in, and then we'll say that's either no risk or minimal risk, or then The areas that have gotten a lot of attention are high risk and uh, prohibited use Uh, the high risk areas um, are pretty uh, expansive Um, basically they uh, the benchmark they applied are um, any use cases of Ai that pose fundamental risks to. um, safety or the uh, fundamental rights of citizens in the European Union, so the high risk sectors are uh, critical infrastructure, where. An AI system could put people's life or health at risk. Educational and vocational settings, where an AI system is used to determine access to training or education. Anything to do with employment, worker management or self-employment, essential private and public services, um, including access to financial services like loans, um, but also access to welfare services. Uh, Law enforcement, Migration, asylum and border control, um, including verifying uh, travel documents, and then the administration of justice. Those are the uh, officially listed high-risk AI sectors.
0: When might AI use be prohibited?
1: AI use is prohibited in a certain number of circumstances. So Uh, what the EU has ruled out is any use of social credit scoring in the manner that it's deployed in China. Not social credit scoring per se, but social credit scoring where you're basically collecting attributes in order to formulate a judgment on someone's fitness in an area that's unrelated to the attributes that you're collecting, and it's done by a public entity. Um, They have also outlawed um, the use of Um, manipulative and subliminal techniques um, of AI that can cause psychological or physical harm or are designed to exploit specific weaknesses of the target group. Um, And in addition to that, uh, there is a ban on the use of remote real-time biometric surveillance like facial recognition by law enforcement except in a number of limited circumstances, which mostly pertain to, um, you know, high urgency public security issues like a terror threat or a child abduction. Um, And uh, any any use of um, biometric recognition uh, that is not real time is is permitted. uh, And any use of biometric recognition by the private sector is viewed as high risk. Uh, rather than being banned outright.
0: Will the regulations slow down AI development and hamper maybe development of products and services that utilize machine learning systems?
1: Um, I mean, I think that is undeniably the case. Um, In fact, even though the European Commission won't admit as much, it's basically the purpose of of the law. you know the idea behind the law is to um, create uh, a bunch of rules and a framework um, that ensures certain standards are met um, before you can bring a product to market. Uh, so there's a very extensive conformity assessment process that accompanies the development uh, and deployment of AI, and that, by definition, has to slow down the development of AI. Um, the European Commission is convinced that there's certain accompanying measures to stimulate startups and innovation that will encourage the development of AI in Europe. Um, And they also say, and that's true, uh, that the law once passed provides a degree of certainty around what's expected from AI developers and users. Uh, But the central unaddressed problem, which really is an enormous own goal as far as I see it, is that these regulations are gonna impose, you know, pretty hefty costs on those trying to build um, new and and innovative businesses that that use AI. Um, And so this actually goes to the core of how the law is set up. As I explained before, it goes for a risk-based approach rather than a sectoral one. So rather than saying, we're gonna regulate AI in cars and create a law for that. And then AI in employment and create a law for that and basing those laws on uh, evidence of actual harm. Um, What the law does is it identifies areas as a whole in which AI will likely pose high risks. And then it imposes restrictions on any AI applied in those areas. Uh, Whether they are actually risky systems or fairly anodyne systems. And I think it sort of underestimates the extent to which AI is already being used in very innocuous um, cases in, in some of these sectors. Um, and, you know, if you are um, some kind of educational institution that wants to build some machine learning-based uh, tool that assesses, I don't know, whether, you know, your geographic location mixed with some... Uh, demographic attributes in order to help classify candidates, um, then the, the, the cost, the upfront cost of developing that uh, is going to be pretty, pretty vast. And moreover, you, you run the risk of falling foul of the regulation. So, any small institution or any um, company that is newly started or doesn't exist yet and that wants to build AI in high risk sectors is going to have to ask itself. Do I have the time, money and expertise to comply with the pretty extensive set of requirements that the law creates? Um, And I think that uh, many small organizations um, will say no. Um, And for people who are determined to build these companies, they are just simply better off doing that in the US or, or the UK, growing big there, scaling there. And then once they can shoulder the cost, then they can enter the European market. Um, And so that's why my assessment is most definitely uh, we will see a slowdown of AI development in Europe if this law is uh, passed as it is currently designed.
0: The EU led the way on privacy with GDPR. What are the chances that other nations, especially the US will copy the EU's artificial intelligence regulations?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. This is certainly the aim of the European Commission. They see the GDPR as a successful regulatory model and they want to emulate that success. Um, The GDPR, as you will remember, had major implications for global data transfers. Um, Any website servicing EU users had to abide by the GDPR's rules. And that prompted some to stop serving users uh, with European IP addresses um, because they felt they couldn't abide by these rules. Um, And this same uh, model of extraterritorial application applies to the AI law. That is to say, if you have an AI service that is in one of the high risk areas or even in the medium risk areas, um, and your service touches or is available to European users, whether or not you are based in the EU, you need to then abide by the law the eu knows that as the world's largest and most prosperous economic zone it has major leverage over companies from other regions that want to sell goods and services to europeans the law is in fact uh, a kind of a a perverse admission we failed to build any major internet and technology businesses here in europe you know of the top 30 Um, technology companies um, by market cap, one or two European. So it's saying we don't innovate in the private sector, but we do have a competitive advantage on regulation. Um, And in fact, the EU as an entity is uniquely suited to drafting these kinds of complex laws. Um, It's a society that's steeped in the civil law tradition of sort of top-down edicts that regulate down to the micro layer, how a technology should be built and deployed. And because the EU has a single market composed of 28 member state economies, there is an obvious rationale for uh, drafting laws like this because you say that kind of unified law um, regulating AI means that businesses that abide by the law can sell AI products um, across the EU. Um, But in addition to that, the EU absolutely wants its AI regulation to become the global standard. There is a first mover advantage at play here. But I think that because some of the provisions are essentially unworkable, um, to the extent that a law is based on unrealistic assumptions, you actually undermine the ability to set the global agenda. So that could throw a spanner in the works, uh, but uh, jury's out, I guess.
0: Do regulations adopted by open democracies mean much if China continues to advance without similar restraints? we just putting ourselves at a competitive and strategic disadvantage?
1: So uh, that's a nuanced question, Um, and I would break it down in two parts. I think that there absolutely is a case for like-minded nations with sort of liberal democratic values to try and set Um, certain regulatory benchmarks as to how we want AI to be built and deployed and have certain conditions around safety and transparency um, and sort of user welfare. Absolutely. Uh, I think that a fragmented approach, and by that I largely mean um, uh, division between Europe and the US, is going to undermine the ability of us to have a sort of cohesive stance on what vision we have for ai because ai is a technology that if if used in certain ways does have a sort of innate authoritarian potential and we're really seeing that play out in china it makes mass surveillance um extremely easy um and you can sort of weaponize technology against uh, your own population now i think the reality is that um the chinese will continue to Uh, encourage the development of AI along the lines that um, they deem appropriate Um, and the question of whether they are then able to sell that type of AI service into a market where it's not permitted um, you know it stands to reason that uh, there isn't going to be an inherent um, uh, innate advantage for Chinese AI um, insofar as they want to sell to, to, to Europe however um, to the extent that um, this allows AI, to, uh, China to, to to build an AI industry that is globally competitive and it can sell services um, to you know other continents that may not be inside the European or um, the the American block, um, it absolutely gives them a leg up. Uh, I think there's no no denying that.
0: Dr. Benjamin Mueller, Senior Analyst for AI at the Center for Data Innovation. If somebody wants to connect with you, Ben, maybe they want to follow more of your work. How can they do that?
1: Uh, I think the best way to do so is to follow me on Twitter. Uh, My handle is Ben underscore CDI. uh, And they can also check out some of my work on the Center for Data Innovation's website.
0: Sounds good. Thanks so much, Ben.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Of course. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.